0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerson, CPA with Parmels & Associates. Earlier this year, I announced that we were working on an industry benchmark report. And I'm happy to say that we are actually at the final stages and it should be released here any day now. There are some really interesting similarities to some of the top shops that I really never would have thought of, but also there was a lot of things that would have thought had a little bit more relationship to profit, and I was drastically mistaken. So that is exactly what we're going to talk about this week. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. For over 30 years, NapaTrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the most comprehensive SMS in the industry. Will prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N A P A T R A C S dot com. Promotive has over 40 years of recruiting and automotive experience. If you're in need of qualified technicians and service advisors and want to offload the heavy lifting, visit them online at gopromotive.com. So before I talk any more about the benchmark report, I have to say a special thank you to my team at Parmellas as well as my clients that took part in sharing their results, trends, and non-financial information. That really was the entire reason why we were able to make this report. And I've been thinking about doing this report for years. I've been procrastinating on it. I've thought about it, but we're in the information age. And I always thought we have so much data on really the inner workings of repair shops. And I just knew that there was a way to harness it. Now, the actual delivery of this report is a much bigger undertaking than I ever imagined. But the final report is really something that I'm excited to share with you guys and something that I don't really think has ever been done before in the industry. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Hey, these people did it. But I just truly don't think that it's possible because who else has access to the actual real numbers that we do? There's no other benchmark report out there that has real CPA prepared financial information along with non-financial metrics for hundreds of repair shops. And since we have clients all over the country of all shapes and sizes, we're able to dive into this in even more detail of different stuff by location, by type of shop, by size, and much more. And it turned into a 32 page report. In the coming years, we plan to have this as an annual publishment with not only updated figures, but also showing trends in the industry as well as performance trends by location. And this report is 99% done. I had it on my desk this morning. I was doing some final edits and I'm kind of can be a perfectionist at the time. So, If left to myself, I probably would tweak this thing and keep on changing it till I think it's perfect. And maybe I would never get there. But luckily, I have Allison to kick me in the butt and say, hey, let's get this out to the people that can really use it. We don't need to make this the most perfect thing ever. It's good enough, which I hate that saying, but you have to stop somewhere else. You drive yourself crazy. And depending on when you are listening to this, there's a possibility that this might already be out there. Who knows? You maybe have already read it. It's the beauty of this podcast. And if you're one of my clients, you will get the first release. Um, We felt that it was really important to share this with our clients first, since not only, obviously, you were the guys that helped us put this together and shared your information, but also just as a thank you for all the support that you give us. And I will make sure that the links are included in the show notes once this is released. But if you want to follow along, we'll announce this on our Facebook page, social media and will ultimately be available for download on our website. And honestly, here in a couple months, you'll probably be sick of me hearing about it because there is a couple other things that I obviously want to get into and talk about. Probably even going to do some webinars where we can have some Q&As and people can share their own questions, maybe even their own analysis that they brought out of it as well too. Enough right now about the overall report. And once this is out there, like I said, we'll dive into this some more. But this week, I just wanted to touch on a couple things that surprised me just while I was going down through and reviewing and editing some of this stuff. So anytime that you're trying to get together this much information, what are you trying to do with it? And obviously the biggest thing that we're using here with statistics is we're trying to see the relationships. If you looked, and I should share a little snapshot of the spreadsheet that we have. It is pages and pages long of a spreadsheet that was spit out from a database that we're using to create this. But if you look at that spreadsheet, it's just thousands, tens of thousands of different cells of numbers, and it really doesn't give you any sort of usable information. It's information overload. It's too much information, right? This is what I had in the nutshell. We have all this information on our servers and and saved here. But what we're trying to do here is try to see an interrelationship, not only an interrelationship between some of the financial information, but also trying to make some connections here between non-financial information and financials. Hey, is there a link between what kind of benefits that a business offers and overall profitability or even overall productivity of their technicians? Also looking at different things like, hey, is there a relationship between size of shop and location of shop and the overall profit? And what we're looking for is relationships. It's not necessarily causation on that because that is a very tricky thing that we won't get into today. But what we're looking for is to say, hey, if this variable changes, is there a direct relationship with this one? And sometimes there's direct relationships, right? Hey, if this number goes up, on average, this other number goes up at the same rate or at the same level. There's other things that are inverse related. Hey, this is not a good indicator. The higher this one goes, the lower this other metric goes. Now, everyone, and I'm an econ major, right? So I love this kind of stuff. But everyone when they're looking at numbers is always looking for a relationship. And depending on how strong of a correlation there is, It really depends, it really is going to dictate how important that variable is. But sometimes there's just no relationship whatsoever, right? If you chart all of these dots on a plot, there's not a consistent line that they run across. Some of them are high and the other variable is low and vice versa, in between and all around. And there were some things where I knew, hey, I don't think that this probably has any sort of relationship, but there are others that really surprised me. And the first one I want to talk about is labor rate as it relates to profit. And the reason that I found that this was important was it's something that is probably the most shared piece of information, right? Other than sales, and we'll talk about that in a second, but labor rate is something that I've seen talk about ad nauseum, right? If you're in any shop owner's group and someone goes on there, especially a new shop owner, hey, I my business and I'm doing this much an hour, what are people going to yell? Oh, you need to increase your labor rate. That is not expensive enough. Now, all of this comes from a place of helping, a place of kindness of trying to make sure that the person is not devaluating their services. But also, it probably has an assumption of, hey, if you have that low of a labor rate, you probably aren't making any money. So if you increase your labor rate, you're going to make money. Now, if you look at this on the surface, you might see a direct relationship. Hunt, what the heck are you talking about? If your labor rate's $100 an hour and you go to $200 an hour, how are you not going to make more profit? I agree, right? In a vacuum, if no other variables change. But think about this to yourself. Think about your shop right now and think about how much money you would make if you doubled your labor rate. I will guarantee you that this first week, you're going to make more money than you would have before, probably in the second week, probably even in the third week. But what do you think that's going to do to your overall clientele, to your overall customer base by increasing your prices that much? Do you think that you will be able to replace the customers that no longer can afford or no longer come to you because you're too expensive? Or do you think that you'll have enough that stick around that you'll still make more money? And I think that is some of what we're seeing here in a nutshell. Plus, another thing is all right, if your labor rate is really high, but also your costs are extremely high as well too, are you actually relatively any more expensive? It might look like you're really expensive at $200 an hour, but what's your overhead? What are you paying your average technician? How much does it cost in rent to do business where you are? It might be a bit of a hero number that doesn't really have a whole lot of meat to it. And did I expect to see a relationship between $130 an hour shop being more profitable than $125 an hour? No, not really. And I didn't expect this one to have a ton of correlation, but I figured there would probably be some direct relationship and it's probably easier to make money at $265 an hour versus $95 an hour. And those were actually the two bookends of the labor rates of our study. Of the highest rate was 265 that we had and the lowest one was, it was $95 an hour. Now, there were some areas where labor rate was indicative of, of other uh, key metric areas. But if you look at analysis of labor rate by location, we found some pretty interesting things. So like we said, I felt that was really important and we have a large enough sample size that we were luckily able to do this. But I wanted to take this analysis because a shop that's in Southern California maybe doesn't have a whole lot to compare to a shop in Southern New Hampshire. Now there's some things that are universal and there's some things that I thought were a little bit more location specific. We broke the country up into essentially five different areas. We have the Northeast, we have the Southeast, we have the Midwest, we have the Southwest, and the overall West. Not an exact science on it. Don't ask me, hey, I don't want to be in the Southwest, I want to be in the Northwest, whatever it is, but it split the country into essentially five different areas. And what we found out there is labor rate averages for those five areas range from on the low side of 141 to on the high side of 165. Now, if I was to tell you, where do you think that those averages fell? you would probably guess correctly if you guess where the highest average labor rates was on the West Coast. Notoriously, Southern California, Pacific Northwest, Bay Area, really anything in California, plus the Pacific Northwest, is probably our consistently highest areas of higher labor rates. Now, what you might not expect, lowest average labor rates actually come from the Northeast. Now, there is a lot of places in the Northeast that you might not necessarily think about. When you're thinking about the Northeast, you're probably thinking about New York City, Connecticut, Boston, some pretty high income areas with some pretty high prices and pretty high cost of living. But at the same time, also encapsulated in that area is rural New Hampshire, rural Vermont, Maine, rural parts of Massachusetts. I guess some of this is probably going to be a little bit of Northern Pennsylvania and Western New York as well. And so what we found out there was that was actually our lowest area. Now, Southeast, Midwest, and then Southwest, we're a little bit in the middle there at 145 for the Midwest and Southeast, and then 154 for the Southwest. NapaTrax was built from the ground up to make your business more profitable and efficient. They provide an extensive set of tools to increase and track profitability in real time. NapaTrax offers the industry's best wholesale support hands down. They train your people on-site. Yes, on-site. They also offer remote refresher training 10 times a week and customer support is open six days a week. Give them a call, visit them, or join our Facebook community today to learn more. They'll prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. NapaTrax is always customized and tailored for your business, whether you're a one-man shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's n-a-p-a-t-r-a-c-s.com. Is your recruitment process draining your valuable time and resources? What if there was a partner who could take your recruitment efforts off your plate? Look no further. Promotive is your ultimate solution for hassle-free staffing focused solely on the automotive industry. On the web at gopromotive.com. Promotive understands the challenges you face when searching for the perfect technician or service advisor for your shop. That's why we've developed a platform that takes the hassle out of recruiting. Michelle Tanzi from EuroClinic said, I am a shop owner and recruiting new talent is so time-consuming. Promotive does the majority of the seeking and recruiting. They reach out to the candidates for you and when they feel they are a good match for you and culture, they make the connection. They follow up throughout the interview process and we make sure that the candidates are a good fit and the shop is a good fit for the candidates. I admire that they genuinely want both parties to win. They recruited and paired us with a solid B-Tech and Master Tech. Both left a dealership position and are still part of our team. We are very happy with the character and culture match, and both technicians have become valuable team members. Visit our website at gopromotive.com today and join the growing community of shop owners who have found their ideal team members with Promotive. What we need to do now is compare this to our profit by location. Now, when we take a look at the profit by location, if there is any sort of analysis, where do you think it's going to be the highest profit margin? And where do you think it's going to be the lowest profit margin? So if there was a relationship here, a direct relationship, then the West and California and the Pacific Northwest should have the highest profit and the lowest profit should be bringing up the rear with the Northeast. But what we find is something that is really nothing like that whatsoever. Now, part of this is true. The lowest labor rates was in the Northeast and that was also the lowest profit. Now it wasn't by a large margin here, but the Northeast did come at the lowest profit margins. However, on the other end of the spectrum, the highest labor rates in the West, those only accounted for the third highest profit, right? And we only have five different regions. So third highest is also third from the worst. Now, where was the actual highest profitability as far as regions? And that actually came from the Midwest. So yeah, there was a relationship that the low labor rates turned into low profits for the Northeast, but high labor rates did not turn into high profits for the West, while the Midwest was actually the second lowest labor rate, but the most profitable. Now, why is this happening? And what kind of relationship can we draw from here? Now, like I said, there is some, if you look into some of these other numbers and some of these other ways to sort it out, if you sort this a little bit different way, you can start to draw some conclusions off a of labor rate, but sometimes you gotta be careful of seeing, hey, is there actually any sort of correlation or is this just by chance? Because if it doesn't show up in all the numbers, just a couple of select ones, then maybe there's something else there that's actually affecting it a lot more than labor rate. And one of the things did not surprise me was the profit margin in the Midwest. I figured here that the consistently highest profits would be in the Midwest had nothing to do with labor rates, but really had to do with margin. Think about it this way, how much you're making on that labor is much more important than how much you're selling it for. And yeah, this is great that you're selling your labor for $200 an hour, but what if your average technician is costing you 60 or $70 an hour? Wouldn't you much rather have a shop that's doing uh, an average $150 an hour labor rate, but your average technician costs maybe 25 dollars to $30? And that's exactly what we see in the Midwest. We see consistent labor rates that we see with other areas around the country, a little bit still lower than the West and Southwest, but on average, their operating costs of not only their technician and service advisor pay, but also their overall overhead and cost of living and cost of real estate is much lower. While the labor rate is nothing that looks like it should blow it out of the water, since that laborer doesn't, or since that gross profit doesn't have to go as far to cover their overhead, they're able to drive the highest profits of anywhere around the country. Now, fun fact here, we actually, and it's not something that we actually announced on here because all of this is anonymous, but like I said, the highest average profit came from the Midwest. My top shop, as far as my highest and most profitable shop, actually came from Southern California. So again, there's always outliers on this. This is why we like to look at averages, but just thought that was interesting because I don't think anyone would have expected that. Their claim to famous. Higher than average or slightly on average labor rates with lower than average operating cost, translates into high profits. Now, the other thing that I wanted to take a look at is just overall size of the business and to see if there is any sort of relationship between growing your sales and also growing your profit. Now, I have to clarify a couple of things here. When I'm gonna be talking about profit here, I'm talking about profit as a percentage of sales. So if you have a shop doing a million dollars and a shop doing two million, and the profit percentage is the same. Now, the one doing 2 million is obviously gonna be making twice as much profit dollars, but they're gonna be making it at the same rate, if that makes sense. Another thing here is when we're talking about profit, a lot of what we're doing here is owner's pay plus profit. And the reason is this is gonna help us smooth out a lot of differing pay rates. Because if we only use net profit and we ignored owner's pay, then an owner that took $400,000 on salary and reduced their profit is not going to look as successful as a business that took no money on salary and maybe only made a $75,000 profit. So we had to factor that in there, not only for that situation, but also depending on how our clients are set up and taxed, they might not be on payroll whatsoever. So we wanted to remove those variables. Now, when we were taking a look at the sizes of the shop, it was tricky to be able to figure out what we did or where to have that demarcation line. But looking at the sample size on it, What we found out is about the 1.2 to $1.4 million range is the tipping point. We had half our clients above that, half of our clients below that. What we ended up choosing is 1.2 million, I think because it's simple math, it's $100,000 a month. It's like the prototypical shop. So let's see what's above it and let's see what's below that. Now, to give you an idea of what this average shop looks like in both of those, for our smaller shops, those shops were averaging about $85,000 a month and worked out to be about a million dollar a year in sales. Now, the shops in the bigger category of our bigger shops, they average about $174,000 a month in sales or worked out to be about a $2 million business. So really, this is one business doing a million, the other average business doing two millions. This is the tale of two cities here. And it's always funny, I, I try and talk to my hands, but obviously you guys can't see it. Maybe sometimes you can hear it banging into my microphone and stuff like that. But one of the things that we notice here, and there is a lot of other things that do have some relationship, But if you look it down at the actual profit of it, we have virtually identical profit percentages between these two groups. Yeah, one's doing a million dollars on average. The other group is averaging about 2 million, but both of those are making profit at about a 16% rate. Like we talked about before, if you have a shop doing a million dollars a year at 16%, that's $160,000. Now, if you have a shop that's doing $2 million a year, that 16% is gonna translate to 320,000. So yeah, obviously you are having more in sales and more in profit, but we don't see any sort of major increases in profitability or any major real decreases in profitability as businesses grow. And as this comparison is about doubling the average. This is one that I took a look at and was like, why can this happen? Because I could probably give you five different arguments here, depending on these numbers went up, these numbers went down, or these numbers are exactly the same. The big thing here is you might have a little bit of an argument to say hey shouldn't these bigger shops be actually even more profitable because if you have a 10 bay facility you theoretically could do 3 million if you're only doing a million out of that aren't you probably going to be underperforming yes and no there's a couple different things that are also built into here if you are a tire shop and you sell a ton of tires and when i say tire shop 30% or more of your sales are coming from the sale of tires generally those are going to be my bigger shops An average tire shop is probably twice the sales volume of a comparatively sized general repair facility just because of what they're selling. Their average tickets are generally a little bit higher, even though that the margins are gonna be a little bit lower there. This is quantity over quality, and that is not meant to be an insult. That just means, hey, the name of this formula that we built for these businesses, instead of making $5 on every ticket, I'm making $2.50 on every ticket, so I need to do twice as many of them. This is exactly what we see. Hey, overall profit percentage is the same, but we're doing double the amount of work. Also, a lot of things here is fleet work. If you're a primarily fleet shop or you do a lot of fleet work, you're probably gonna have a much higher sales volume. Now, generally fleet work, just like tire work, is gonna be sold at a lower percentage margin. So while some of these top shops also have a lot of synergy here by the efficiencies and being able to outrun their overhead faster, some of these bigger shops are having or recognizing a little bit lower margin in some categories than a comparative smaller shop. And the last thing on here is overhead cost. Yeah, you might be able to save more money on your rent as a percentage of sales, or maybe you don't have to do as much advertising as you get bigger on there. But one of the things that you do have that smaller shops don't is a couple different expenses. Smaller shops are probably not gonna have two or three different managers. If your shop is three locations, because some of these we're looking at groups here, or if your shop is doing four or $5 million a year, there is personnel and there is people there that we would never see in a shop that are doing $800,000 a year. And if you look down through here, you could pull some comparisons, you could pull some different numbers, but there's not a drastic change. Honestly, if I was a betting man, I would have actually expected this to be inverse related. I would expect it to actually be the bigger shops overall recognizing a lower percentage profit than the smaller shops. Because what I see a lot of times is as shops get bigger, they're not as worried about getting every last cent out of there just because the volume's much bigger. They're looking for more ease of operations and more kind of redundancy and consistency there than maybe that shop doing $800,000 a year that is trying to turn it up to 11 and squeeze every single cent of profit out of there. But numbers don't lie. Small shops, big shops, a lot of these things look extremely similar. What does that mean to you? I don't know. It's draw your own conclusions here. But one of the things here is when you're looking down the street and you're saying, hey, look how much bigger that shop is. Look how much that smaller that shop is. It doesn't mean that it's probably that drastically different there. It's going to be bigger as it's going to be more zeros behind it. But the overall structure and the overall layout, this might be up, this might be down, but they look pretty darn similar from a high level view or broken out the way that we have here. If anything, I hope this at least got you curious to check out that report once we finally do release it here. And I think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people to get a true idea of what other shops are really doing. And also once this is out, I'd love to hear your thoughts, quest for things that you want to see in upcoming reports in any other comments that you have. Anytime I hear feedback, usually it's good. Every once in a while, we get a couple critical ones, but it really does make my day. It really does mean a lot to say, hey, we put a lot of dedication to it. I dedicated a ton of time, a ton of nights of putting together this report. So did my clients, so did my team on it. And so to just hear that people said, wow, this is cool. I read it one time. You know what? That's all I need. Please share this with friends. If you have any questions, comments or ideas for a future episode, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the theaftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.